this is Liren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Brie Baudouin of the food blog Evergreen Kitchen, where she shares delicious, crowd-pleasing vegetarian recipes. As a recipe developer, certified holistic nutritionist, and food stylist, Brie runs Evergreen Kitchen with her husband, Angual Dimov, sharing the food that inspires them in Vancouver, British Columbia. Bree's first cookbook, Evergreen Kitchen, weeknight vegetarian dinners for everyone will be available in October this year. I am so excited to welcome Bree to the podcast. Hey, Bree. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, of course, I was telling you before we hopped on that I feel like I really identify with your style of cooking, um, your love for veg. So I'm so excited to chat with you. But before we begin, I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were you? So I think this probably won't be the most unique answer. But for me, it was when I got an easy bake oven. I was asking my mom this yesterday. Uh, but I was four. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I got it for Christmas. And so the first thing I ever baked was a powdered brownie that would have been baked in the easy bake oven, which I think it was pretty much a light bulb or some equivalent. But yeah, that's the first thing I remember ever making. Yeah, I'm nodding my head because I remember that light bulb so well. (laughs) And the brownie mix. Was it the actual mix that came? Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) It came in a little envelope. And yes. add a little bit of water. <laughs> yeah, it probably never expires. <laughs> probably not. It's kind yeah. of scary. I wonder if yeah, there's any original Easy Bake Oven brownie mixes floating I don't around. No, that would be pretty funny to see. Mm-hmm. My parents would hope we would never <laughs> find it. I don't think they enjoyed eating my treats that I made in that thing. <laughs> oh, I know. Poor parents. Oh, well. I know. But I remember it tasting not bad, but that was oh, okay. as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, could you tell everyone else? A little bit more about yourself and what your life looked like before you started Evergreen Kitchen? Sure. So um, for as long as I can remember, cooking and eating, of course, was always a big passion of mine. Um, Growing up as a kid, I would rent cookbooks from the library and food magazines. That was kind of my nighttime reading. And instead of going to all the summer camps, for me, it was like taking baking classes or different kids cooking classes. So I've always been very obsessed with food since a young age. When it came to education and schooling, I didn't quite have the confidence that I could make it work as a career. So I actually studied business and sociology. And um, after graduating from university, I worked in the business world as a management consultant. Mm -hmm. And so I worked primarily with restaurant chains and food manufacturing companies to help advise them on business strategy growth. And a lot of times that had to do with kind of menu development and things like that. But I wasn't really just like working with my hands and actually cooking. I was doing lots of talking, lots of research, interviewing um, a lot of consumers across the States and in Canada to help these companies like do better and inform their growth. But yeah, it, it felt a little disconnected to my true passion. And so in 2015, I moved, that was in Toronto. And so mm-hmm. I moved back to Vancouver to be closer to my family. And at that point in time, I started studying holistic nutrition and also started um, Evergreen Kitchen. And kind of from there, it's evolved from a passion project and just a way for me to share recipes to now doing 
freelance recipe development and food styling. I love that in your previous career, you still managed to work with food somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the closest I could get. And I, it was a great way to like use my degree and kind of have some tie to food. So at least I was talking about food all day. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, a bit different than I think what I wanted to do. And I suspect that you still use a lot of that today. You know, it's it's not time wasted whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's it's a that's a great point. I I, sometimes I think you kind of take for granted some of the things you've learned in your you know past life. And for us, it's it has been really helpful having insights to how people actually cook and eat, and like what will help make their life easier from a food perspective. And then also just for the food styling and recipe development standpoint where you do work with a lot of different brands. It's really thinking about how, you know, you can help them, um, but also just make it work for people in their everyday life. Yeah, I totally identify with that. I mean, I, my background is in marketing research. And so Mm -hmm. some of my clients were, well, some of my fun clients were the food clients. And Mm -hmm. it is nice to to be on the other side of that too, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're working with a client and they have a particular campaign in mind, you have a unique perspective that you can bring to them now. So Yeah. yeah, yeah, it has been really helpful. So why Evergreen Kitchen? I love the name, but oh. what 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 brought you to Evergreen Kitchen as the title? Well, thank you. I know picking a name is so hard. You, yeah. you either <laughs> love it or hate it over time. Um, for us, it was kind of a nod to the Pacific Northwest, just with we have lots oh. of evergreen trees here. And also at the time, when I hear evergreen, it makes me think of something that you're kind of always interested in or like always relevant. And at that point in my life, it was kind of starting to eat vegetarian. And so the blog for us was a way of how can we kind of document and make recipes that will keep us interested in vegetarian eating for for the long run. Just because when we kind of started the journey of eating vegetarian, There wasn't a ton of really inspiring options out at restaurants and things like that, which is kind of why we started cooking more at home. Um, Eating such a social activity and it's such a way to connect like friends and family. And so my one of my biggest fears with going vegetarian was would it make it harder to go out to eat with friends and family? And it actually did at the time. And so that's why we started having more dinner parties at our places and things like that. Luckily now there's a lot more options. Um, and I think it's getting to be a lot easier when you go out to eat nowadays. It is easier, but you're right. You know, back when you started, it probably your options are limited. Actually, mm-hmm. I was traveling just a month ago and I passed through, it was just random, but I passed through um, O'Hare mm-hmm. and I used to live in Chicago for a short little bit. And I swear the menu had not changed since yeah. I left <laughs> and I was looking for anything more plant forward mm-hmm. that I could eat and not feel heavy and, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, and I could find nothing. And the yeah. one thing that I found was just this really sad, cold veggie wrap in quotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pretty dismal. So when you talk about, you know, those struggles, I'm like, wow, you know, sometimes I still struggle, but Mm-hmm. Things are so much better. And I'm glad you started because that title encompasses so much. I didn't even think about evergreen trees. Hello. Yeah. yeah no <laughs> um, 
but duh, that makes complete sense. So Pacific Northwest, it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, seafood's great, obviously, but mm, yeah. in terms of the eating that you do now, how much, how much does that inspire you? How much does that mm. inform your cooking? Yeah, I think when I think of Pacific Northwest, a lot of what I think of is like really fresh ingredients and a very kind of simple approach to preparing them. Less so than like, you know, a few specific signature dishes. And so I think I kind of have that approach in my cooking of trying to keep it simple, really veg or ingredient forward, and kind of what are some ways that you can make those ingredients shine. And then I think the other way that it kind of plays a role in the recipes I put out is growing up in Vancouver and on the Pacific Northwest, it's kind of like a melting pot of a lot of different cuisines, especially um, there's, we have access to a lot of different like Asian cuisines. And so there's some of those flavors that I grew up with just because my mom's side is Chinese, but mm -hmm. also because Vancouver just has so many amazing Asian restaurants. So that kind of informs some of the flavors that I gravitate towards today. Yeah. I've only been to Vancouver once and I can't wait to go back. The food mm -hmm. is incredible and so good. And um, speaking of your mom's side of the family, I love that on your blog, you have a kanji and it's plant-based. Yeah. How hard was it? I mean, I I know I have my own ways to do it, but like what, what are your tricks to making a really good plant-based kanji? Mm. So I think that the, like the stock or the broth that you use has a huge impact. So at least for the kanji that I grew up having, a lot of times my mom would rely on fish or meat to help give some of that savory flavor. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite thing is like the better than bullion. They have a no chicken chicken yes. broth. And I find it amazing, um, especially in kanji. And then I just like to put like garlic and a bit of ginger in as well, which I think is not always as traditional a lot of times it's like the ginger would go fresh on top. Mm -hmm. um, but because you're not using meat, I find that it kind of like needs a little something if you want to add a bit more flavor to that. It's so interesting because in the Filipino version, which is Arascaldo mm -hmm. or Lugao, depending on who you talk to, yeah, garlic and ginger is definitely part of the base. Yeah. Um, okay. Love so it. That's so interesting. Like just the approach, like how you would add it maybe towards the end versus yeah. at the beginning. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have to talk about the book. Mm -hmm. How did it come about for you? Um, was this something you always wanted to do? Uh, definitely, like writing a cookbook was a, a big, something I would have loved to do. It honestly wasn't something that I necessarily thought I would be able to accomplish. Um, so just growing up, I loved reading cookbooks. And yeah, I always had the thought of, oh, it'd be fun to write one one day, but I didn't know if that was going to be an option for me. Mm -hmm. um, a few years into writing the blog, one of the publishers had reached out to me to see if um, we were interested in writing a cookbook. So we were kind of lucky in that sense that that kind of just kickstarted the process for us. And we still had to go through the steps, of course, of, you know, writing a proposal, and then they have to review it and accept it and go through all of that. But yeah, it really started with Penguin Random House um, Canada reaching out to us to see if we were interested in writing a cookbook. How nice. But yes, yes still a lot of work, but yeah. at least that one major hurdle. Yes, know. it was the good Andrea. So she's the, um, she's one of the publishing directors uh, there. And yeah, it was, 
you know, for me, I think I needed something like that push to give me the confidence and the motivation to actually start the process because it does seem like an enormous project, which it is. And so I'm really grateful that she reached out and kind of gave us the nudge we needed to, to start that. Yeah, sometimes you just need a little push because mm-hmm. you know you want to do it anyway. It's just yeah. <laughs> someone else believing in you. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So in the very beginning of your book, you have a chapter called How to Make Vegetarian Food Taste Better, which can be a challenge, especially yes. for people who you know are maybe veg-phobic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for um, sure. So what are your tips for making it easier and more delicious? Got it. So... I think there's two main things. The first, which was like a big unlock for me, was just like the mindset. So I think a lot of times when people think about cooking vegetarian, um, the mindset almost starts to feel really restrictive. So it's like, what do I need to take out? What am I missing? Um, As opposed to thinking about, oh, well, what are the actual opportunities where I can add things or and make it more expansive or additive? And so like, for example, a lot of dishes, if you eat meat, and you were to simply just take out that meat element, of course, it's not going to taste as great or as amazing because you might be missing some salt, you might be missing some fat that would naturally be in the meat, you might be missing just some of that texture. And so thinking about what are some ingredients that you can add instead of the meat so that you don't feel like you're missing out or feel like you're making a compromise. So that would kind of be the overarching thing. The second would just be like using some of the same tricks that you would use to make any kind of food taste better. So like seasoning, does it need a bit of acid? Umami is like a huge element of food feeling comforting. So if you're not getting that from meat, what are some plant-based ingredients like miso or tomato paste or tamari or soy sauce, mushrooms, all of those are plant-based ingredients that can make food feel really savory without meat. And then just thinking about like texture and garnishes, anything that would make you like excited to enjoy the dish. Yeah. Texture is a huge thing. I feel Mm like a lot of people forget it. Um, And when you've got different textures, maybe even different temperatures, Mm -hmm. um, a little bit of crunch, it just makes it more exciting. But for sure, the umami, I think that's, yeah, that's the heavy hitter. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have a favorite section in the book? Or maybe you could actually tell everybody too how you've got the different chapters laid out because it's not like breakfast, dinner, you know? Yeah. So I actually have like a copy of the the book here. So So um, the book is all organized because it's all weeknight dinners. It's instead of organized, like you said, like breakfast and lunch, it's organized by food types. So There's a chapter on like sheet pans and skillets and like one pot dishes. There's a whole chapter on noodles. So pastas, different types of noodles. Um, There's a chapter called classic-ish comfort foods. And so that's like plant-based spin on a lot of very filling hearty dishes. That's usually the chapter I think people who are nervous about veggies or nervous about vegetarian eating, that's usually like an easy sell if you want to make one dish that everyone at the table will love. Um, We have bowl food, handheld, so that's like burgers, sandwiches, wraps, things like that. Soups, salads, and then there's like a tiny dessert section in case you want to have something sweet on the weeknight. 
Yeah, I was so happy to see the desserts, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me um, too. <laughs> but you're right. I, I do think that the comfort foods or the ones that are already classics in their mind that mm -hmm. you have vegified um, yeah. are the ones that will make probably the whole family excited if they're yeah. cooking for other people. So that totally makes sense. That's the hope. I think the for me – like my husband and I both eat vegetarian, but I would say the majority of the readers on our blog don't identify as being fully vegetarian. They're just oh. people that are interested in cooking a meatless meal once in a while, or maybe one member of the family is vegetarian and everyone else isn't. And so the whole idea behind the cookbook is what are some recipes that like truly you can make one dish and everyone at the table feels satisfied and happy with it whether you're going to eat meat tomorrow or you eat, you know, it doesn't matter. It's kind of just open to, to everyone who likes yummy food to eat. So that was the idea behind the book. And then all of almost all of our recipe testers actually weren't vegetarian because it was really mm -hmm. important to me that all the dishes would be really satisfying and like to people who, you know, are used to eating meat. And so, yeah, that's a little, I guess, fun fact. We don't really talk about too much in the book, but Oh, that's such a know. smart, mm -hmm. smart tactic. Really smart, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's and it's and what's nice, too, is that if it's a meal that everyone can cook, then the cook only has to cook one dish and they don't exactly. have to cook something for the other people who are like, I miss my meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of classics, I love that you include an Evergreen Kitchen mm -hmm. classic in your book, which is the mushroom stroganoff. So mm -hmm. what makes that dish such a hit with all your readers? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like you as a food blogger know too, like brown food is a challenging one um, to photograph. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually surprised how quickly that recipe took off. I think people like it because it is really savory and satisfying and it's noodles, which people love. And it's something that kids all the way to adults can enjoy. And so that's really one of the recipes where so many of the comments people are just happy that they only had to make one version of their dish. Like their, you know, veggie questioning husband was happy with it and their <laughs> kids were asking for seconds. And for me, that's like the sweet spot for a recipe. And so we included a version of that in the cookbook, but we, I tweaked it. I think this version in the cookbook is actually a lot better. So I'm oh. excited for people to try that version. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. So are you allowed to tell us what makes it better or? It's just like a slightly different process. The first, um, the one on the site is like a one, one pot um, situation, which is definitely mm -hmm. really easy. But I think because if you're vegan, you might not want to use, you wouldn't use egg noodles, for example. And so mm -hmm. when you start to change the different types of noodles that you use in a one pot dish, I find that it's can create different results. And so um, I just streamlined the process so that it is friendly for vegans, or if you're not vegan, you can go with the egg noodles and it works just as well for everyone. Oh, good to know. Mm -hmm. So another recipe stood out for me. It was your actually good fried rice. Oh. That's the title, <laughs> and I like it because your mom advised you that that's what you should name it. Yeah. So how involved was your mom and your dad in, in in the cookbook writing process. It sounds like they had some say. <laughs> yeah, my mom, I mean, I got my love of cooking um, and eating from her. Um, she is definitely 
I mean, having immigrated to Canada when she was about eight years old, her palate is like a mix of, you know, the Cantonese flavors that she loves, but then also embracing everything about Canada and kind of making it up her own. <laughs> Whatever she does to a dish is kind of a mix of everything. So that inspires a lot of how I think about creating dishes. So I have to give her credit for that. But she's also just really good, has a really good palate and is brutally honest. So in the recipe testing phase, I involved her a fair bit in giving me feedback on a lot of the dishes, which was really helpful. And then during the actual photo shoot for the cookbook, she came by a few days to really help us get through some of the long days with oh, dishes and all oh, of nice. that. Yeah, <laughs> it was really nice. Um, as a freelance food stylist, I've worked on a lot of other cookbooks before styling other people's, but you usually have like a large team, like someone to do props, someone to do prep. You have a main food stylist, assistant, all of that. For this book, we really wanted to do it all ourselves. And so it was just it was a lot of work. And so we couldn't have gotten through those long days without her. And then my dad was involved also in the testing process and helping pick up a lot of leftovers and enjoying them at his place <laughs> or distributing them. Because yeah, during the recipe testing phase, like most recipes get personally, I would test almost every recipe got tested at least five like five to seven times plus mm -hmm. our external recipe tester. So there were a lot of dishes that had to get eaten by someone. Oh, what a lucky job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think he had to do groceries for those, those months for a while. That's true. At the end, he's like, wait, where, where did my delivery service go? I know. I know. <laughs> so yeah, the work that goes behind writing a cookbook is immense. And you, you and your husband both worked on it together. Beautiful. You guys make a, a nice power couple. Oh, thank you. But I have to ask because I, I know I couldn't do it. What is it like to work with your husband and, and what's your secret to uh, going to bed happy oh. at the end of the day? Yeah, it's a lot and it's definitely not for everyone. I think we are used to spending a lot of time together. And so kind of that works for a project like the cookbook or a lot of things for the blog and a lot of our client jobs that we would work on together. I think the secret, I don't know if it's a secret, but just having pretty defined roles mm -hmm. and knowing kind of who has the decision rights for, for certain things has really yeah. helped us because you naturally kind of have opinions about everything and you won't agree on everything. So for us, it's been really helpful to know, you know, if it has to do something in the photography realm, then that sits with him. If it's something like a recipe related decision or props that kind of sits with me. So that's been really helpful. Um, but to be honest, there's still a lot of things we could improve, like knowing when your work and personal boundaries for us, it's so easy to just like work late into the evening. So yeah, that's the part I think we still need to get better at for sure, especially being freelance. Yeah, I'm nodding my head because I know I'm guilty of continually working. I'm working really mm -hmm. hard not to do that. So I can imagine that if I had my partner by yeah. my side enabling me, <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> it would be really hard to take a break. But yeah. at the same time, you guys create such beautiful work together. I'm so Thank curious. Um, did he always photograph food before that? Was it product? What What was his background? Yeah, so he um, what has always been into photography and 
I would say definitely like he leaned more into landscape photography before I started the food blog, but he's gotten a lot more into food and also product. But uh, food is kind of the area where is our sweet spot because we both are interested in that and um, always feel excited to keep growing in that space. So yeah, he, but he has evolved. I think the subject matter that he shoots to kind of fit what works for us every day. And then your styling skills too. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, how did you hone those? Is it just from the blog or were you doing other things too? Mm, so I, um, I do that. The blog is kind of where I started um, kind of like learning about food styling, but also Vancouver has a fairly busy kind of like film industry here. So yes. um, yeah, I've, I've done some, I do some work on like film sets or TV sets, but also commercial and editorial shoots. So uh, for a different restaurant campaigns and things like that, I would do the food styling for that. And, um, and then also just like remote, thankfully, because my husband does photography, we can also do a lot of remote shoots for clients, like in the States or whatnot, um, where we kind of just manage everything from our studio here and send them the images over there. So yeah, that's, yeah, it works out. It's hard. Um, I've been on a couple of sets and I do not envy the food stylists whatsoever. It's <laughs> yeah, a it's, hard, hard job. <laughs> it is for sure. It's um, it's very different than when we're photographing for our blog, which is yeah. at your own pace. There's kind of like no one else. Like it's a small set. Um, but yeah, the food styling work, which, you know, I do on a weekly basis. It's definitely a different vibe because yeah, the food stylist is you never stop really. And you have Mm -hmm. to kind of get used to everyone staring at what you're doing at any (laughs) moment in time. And everyone has opinions. So but it's fun. It's yeah, those are very energizing because you're working with a team, which is nice, because sometimes I think from the food blogging standpoint, it can be a bit isolating. You do spend a lot of days working just by yourself. So sure, it's a nice way to mix it up. That's so true. So how long was the cookbook writing process for you guys? Um, I think it was will be about three years before wow. when we kicked off the process to when it's published. So um, yeah, it does take quite a while. The recipe development side of things took me almost a year, I would say, not full time because I have all my other freelance work, but that was quite a bit of heavy lifting, especially because of how much testing I do for each recipe mm-hmm. and then obviously the the photography is a very condensed period of time but very intense and mm-hmm. then um, all of the rounds of edits so really I would say of those three years two years is like more heavy lifting and then you kind of have some downtime in between edits and things like that and when the book's getting published that there's like a bit less demand on your time so if someone has a meal that they need to to cook let's just say it's for fall because it's we're mm-hmm. at fall what would you say they should start with in the book that's a good Ooh, menu that's a good one so fall I think if it was like a special family dinner or something mm-hmm. I think the shepherd's pie would be like a very popular one I also really like there's a like meatless meatballs recipe um, in the cookbook yeah. and that one's great because you can freeze them and then just have them on hand to make kind of like quicker meals mm-hmm. throughout the week. And oh, what else? The There's like a creamy pasta that has seared mushrooms. 
Um, that would be another really good one for fall, I think. That one is actually what Ingwal and I served at our wedding. Oh, so, no way. Yeah, yeah. So we really like that one. Did you cook it yourselves? We did. We actually catered our own wedding. Uh, wow. We had our wedding. It was at UBC Farm. So that's the university um, university's working farm near us. And they don't really have – it's an outdoor – it was like outdoor facility. But, yeah, we had to set up kind of an outdoor kitchen and then did a bunch of the prep before the wedding. And then on the actual wedding day, yeah, I did cook in my wedding dress. And we oh, had, my God, Brie. Yeah. <laughs> We had That's 75 guests crazy. and yeah, it was fun. It was all kind of served family style, but yeah. It was. Wow. <laughs> I am I so mean, impressed. Thank like, you. Seriously, that's incredible. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it for everyone, but like, <laughs> I mean, going back to the vegetarian thing was when we were kind of looking for vendors because the original intention was to be normal and have our wedding catered, but yeah. uh, we just... I wasn't super excited about what the vegetarian options were. And for me, I was kind of like, well, what's the point if I'm not going to be excited about the food? So yeah. this was kind of the way that we could do that and make a vegetarian friendly dinner that, you know, didn't feel like a compromise for all of our guests who, who were not vegetarian. Okay. I'm so impressed. <laughs> I mean, I've only catered once and that was, yeah. that was enough. And um, but to do it on your wedding day. Wow. <laughs> Holy moly. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And crazy, I think is really the... <laughs> I think you have to be a little crazy to do it, to do it. Yeah. But you guys take it to yeah. the next level. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, okay. And then you just give us a dessert that we should do too. Oh, a dessert. Oh, it's so hard to pick one. Okay. The cardamom sugar knots, maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, so those ones are very simple, but it kind of is made out of a pizza dough. And you just um, cut them into strips and then tie them into a knot. And then mm -hmm. they get brushed with melted butter and tossed in cinnamon or cardamom sugar. If you don't like cardamom, you could do cinnamon sugar. That option's yeah. there too. Um, but that one's fun. Our recipe testers really loved that one. If you have kids, it's like a great way to involve them with like doing the knot tying. It's really fast to bake um, and you don't need utensils. You can just eat it with your hands. So yeah, that recipe was inspired by like my husband and I, sometimes we have like really bad pizza cravings. So we'll go to the pizza place and then they also sell like the cinnamon sugar sticks. Um, ah. So that kind of inspired this recipe. So if you're having a pizza night, you could make extra dough and uh, make that dessert for dinner for afterwards. I love it. It's all a sweet version of garlic knots too. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. One day I'm going to come up to Vancouver and please let's hang out. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We can, you can come over and we could cook or we could go out to eat because there's so many great places that we could. Yeah. Try. I don't, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before I let you go, I have some closing questions. Sure. What's something that you cook when you are mm. too tired to cook and need an emergency go-to dinner? Okay. Probably like grilled cheese is like one of my go-tos or weirdly I like love Caesar salad so I would yeah, just make too. that like <laughs> crunchy cold lettuce um we have a Caesar dressing in the book that's actually made with Greek yogurt mm. so and also we have a vegan version as well um so I like using that because it's really quick to make otherwise my other emergency would just be 
using up leftovers to make a bowl. So if I have like extra roasted veggies or grains, and then maybe I'd add like a fried egg or a soft boiled egg on top. Oh, so good. So easy. <laughs> What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? Ooh, that I treasure the most. Probably in general, I have very fond memories of what my mom would call like macaroni soup. Um, so it was kind of like her version of chicken noodle soup growing up, but um, she would make it with like chicken broth and miso and then mm. like shells or some type of pasta noodle and then veggies. So I have a version of that in the cookbook, um, but that's like really comforting dish I love or it. recipe. Oh, my me. kids are going to love that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make that for them. Great. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Mm, messier than I would like. Um, I don't work in professional kitchens, which means like my situation at home is like a little bit more messy than what would be allowed um, <laughs> if I had my own station at the restaurant. But um, I do try to clean up as much as I can as I go. But it really depends on if I'm trying to develop a recipe to write up because then my mind is somewhere else because I'm kind of you probably go through the same thing I'm like speaking about the recipe out loud in my well in my head and so that plus cleaning plus cooking would not be able to happen all at once yeah <laughs> I think we're very much the same and I do yeah. speak out loud it's funny pre-covid before everyone was home I realized I spoke to myself a lot because there yeah. was nobody else in the, in the house and they're yeah. you know after covid they're like why are you talking out loud <laughs> anyway <laughs> what's a good kitchen tip Ooh, a good kitchen tip for me um that I like to tell people if they don't know is to put like a tea towel or a wet paper towel underneath your cutting board so it doesn't yeah. slide around because that always makes me nervous when I see people cutting and the cutting board sliding around the counter. Very good tip. Um, <laughs> on Fridays, I like to share five little things, something that made me smile during the week. Is there anything that made you smile this week? Ooh, this week. So my husband and I have been renovating um, our house for almost as long as we've been writing the cookbook. Oh my and <laughs> um, this week he finished like finished the stuff on the deck. So we Yay. had lunch on the deck for the first time um, in a long time. And so that was very happy moment for us. Oh, what a great thing to celebrate. That mm -hmm. must have been so satisfying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brie, I'm so excited for your book coming out. And I really enjoyed talking to you today. Where can everyone find you? You can find us um, on our website at www.evergreenkitchen.ca or on social, Instagram and TikTok. We are at Evergreen Kitchen. And on Facebook, we are at Evergreen Kitchen blog. Perfect. And everyone check out the book. It's coming out in, in October. And Brie, I can't wait to cook from it. So thanks again for spending time with Thank me today. Thank you so much, Liren. It was so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Isn't Brie amazing? I am so impressed with everything that she and Angwell have created and built together and can't wait to cook from their book. I've bookmarked a lot of the recipes. So I hope you do check out Evergreen Kitchen wherever books are sold. Thank you again to Brie for joining us today and to you for taking time to listen. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.